We're going to be in Psalm 119 uh, this morning, uh, verses 65 through 75. You can find that in on page uh, 350 in your pew Bible if you don't have your own. Um, again, the Psalm 119, uh, verses 65 through 75. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as geese, but I will delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hope it, I've hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let's pray. Father God, we just um, we thank you that, that, that you love us. And we thank you that you love us enough to afflict us sometimes so that we can um, learn to trust and lean on you more. And God, just speak through Bruce this morning and help us to uh, hear from you and then to apply your word to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you are hoping in the God that we serve, the God of hope. And uh, what a joy it is to be here. I hope your mind is uh, tuned in, and uh, that's what I'm hoping for, praying for, that you will tune in here on God's Word on this first Sunday of the new year. I want to begin with a question, though, on this first Sunday of 2019, and that is, how many of you have ever received an unexpected blessing? don't have to raise your hand. Perhaps someone gave you a gift card for Christmas, and you are like, wow, I can't believe they gave me a gift card for Christmas. Totally unexpected. Maybe your spouse gave you a Christmas, Christmas present that was completely a shock to you. You're like, I, we don't exchange gifts, but I got a gift from her this year. Totally a surprise. Unexpected blessing. Or maybe you got a Christmas card in the mail and it, and it had a check in it or cash in it. You know, money of some type. And you're like, wow, totally unexpected. That was awesome. You know, unexpected blessings. They don't happen very often. But when they do... They are cause for rejoicing. An unexpected blessing can turn a bad day into a good day. It can lift your heart from sadness to gladness. Everyone, almost everyone, I'm pretty sure almost everyone here, we enjoy, we like unexpected blessings in life. But this morning, I want to talk to you about another kind of blessing. It's the blessing nobody wants especially in 2019. Notice this on the screen. If you want to pull that insert out uh, in your bulletin, you're welcome to take notes as well. But here's the blessing nobody wants in 2019, and yet is the blessing that everybody needs in this new year, and it is afflictions. Afflictions. Did you notice that there are three verses in this text here in Psalm 119, which Kevin read for us, he read 10 verses here, but there are three verses within this 10 
verses 67, verse 71, and verse 75 that all use the same verb, afflicted. It comes from the noun affliction. It's an old word that means any difficult or painful circumstance. It's often what we would call or what we would term troubles and trials in life. The psalmist here uses the word affliction to describe those troubles and trials in life. And of course, afflictions come in all shapes and sizes. And affliction can be as small as an aggravating head cold. It can be as large as a major illness, the loss of a job, your car breaking down, or rumors being spread by people that you know. Or an affliction could be the sort of cosmic suffering that Job of the Old Testament experienced at the hands of Satan. One writer said it this way, we don't need to seek affliction because sooner or later it will seek us. And how true that is. Now, Sometimes our troubles come because we just, well, let's be honest, we make stupid decisions in life, right? And as a result of stupid decisions, we find ourselves enduring, facing troubles or trials as a consequence of stupid decisions we make in life. Other times we experience troubles or trials simply because we live in a fallen, sinful world where disease spreads, hurricanes hit, tornadoes touch down, economies crumble, and terrorists kill people. Other times we may go through trials. We may endure trouble, not because we've done anything wrong ourselves, but simply because we are doing right. And someone else doesn't like it. And because of that, trials come. Troubles come as a result. So being good and being a godly person is not a guarantee that you won't have afflictions in life. That you won't endure, you won't face troubles and trials in this coming year. In fact, just consider what the Bible says in Psalm 34, 19. The writer here says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Now, we like that second part about deliverance from our afflictions, but this message is mostly about the first part, the many afflictions the righteous suffer. So with this in mind, know this, whatever afflictions you face in 2019, know this one thing. It's not what happens to you that matters most. It is not what happens to you that matters most. It's how you respond that makes the difference. The writer here of Psalm 119 had a lot to say about afflictions, troubles and trials. Evidently, he had suffered so much that he had become a sort of expert in this field. Not exactly the field you want to be an expert in. And yet, these three verses in Psalm 119 remind us that God is intimately involved in our troubles and trials. Nothing happens, no matter how good it may seem or how bad it may seem, comes by accident. One husband wrote these words when his wife was going through a kidney transplant. And I quote what he says here, Trials are difficult mostly because... We don't know when or if they will end. Then he added this thought. Liz and I are beginning to appreciate Job. 
speaking of Job of the Old Testament. He kept getting sicker and sicker, yet he refused to curse God and die. (laughs) Trials are not about time. They are not about double blessings you might get if you endure like Job did. Trials are about God, he says. That is amazing. They teach us things about God we could never learn in any other way or any other experience. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to take a closer look at these three verses in particular here in Psalm 119. And what these three verses do is they give us this bird's eye view, a panoramic view of how God uses affliction to teach us His Word and to build our faith so that we end up closer to Him than we were before our afflictions began. And how I want to do this is I want to unpack these three verses around three different words. And if you want to write these down, you're welcome to. Strain, learning, and knowing. Three words built around these three verses. Strain, learning, and knowing. Notice the first one. God's work through my afflictions. Number one, before my afflictions, and here's where we find our first word in application, is strain. Strain. What do I mean by that? Where does that come from? Well, look what the psalmist writes here again in verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. At first glance, this verse may seem to apply only to those who plunge into some sort of obvious moral sin. But this word astray simply means to go our own way in life. And going astray can be the result of either casual neglect, or maybe even deliberate rebellion. All of us have gone astray. We're familiar with the verse that the prophet Isaiah writes, where he says, we're all like sheep, where we have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Now, the psalmist here, he doesn't tell us the cause of his affliction, the cause of his trials and troubles. He doesn't even tell us what the affliction is what the troubles or trials that he's enduring. He doesn't reveal that to us. But here's what we do know. He does tell us that before he was afflicted, what was he doing? He was going astray. He went astray. It seems that before his troubles came, he was on top of the world. He's cruising down the highway of life with the top down and the music blaring. His life was on cruise control. Things were good. His wife was happy. His kids were doing great. His career was on the upswing. And little by little, he was reaching his goals that he had set for himself. Perhaps you can relate. Life, no, it's not perfect, but life is good. He prayed, but not much. He read his Bible, but not with much conviction. He went through the motions, but in his heart, he felt pretty good about how things were going. But his prosperity had caused him to now push God to the edges of life instead of keeping him at the center of life. But then all of that changed. God had other plans for him. So God sent him afflictions. Have you ever considered how thin the line is between joy and sorrow? Think about it. Just one phone call and your life can't could be shattered forever. That's all it takes. 
Just one phone call and things will never be the same. Of course, we live as if that call will never come. But it could come at any moment. And when it does, our house of cards comes tumbling down. You ever, were, ever wondered why we are afflicted? Why afflictions come into our lives? We sometimes think afflictions, trials and troubles are, are just bad luck. It's just coincidence. But afflictions don't happen by accident. God uses afflictions to get our attention. God uses afflictions to break us, to humble us, to make us ready, to make us willing to trust Him and to obey Him, which brings us to one of the outcomes of afflictions. Obviously, afflictions can do one or two things. Afflictions can either drive us away from God or God will use His afflictions to drive us toward Him. Satan wants to use them to drive us away. The psalmist here allowed the afflictions in his life to drive him towards the Lord. In fact, one of the outcomes of the afflictions in his life that he tells us here is that we are compelled to obey God. And so when we endure, when we face this time of troubles and trials in our life, and when we allow it to drive us toward God, the outcome is we are compelled to obey God. What did the psalmist say here in verse 67? He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word, Lord. In other words, when he was living his own life, when he was doing his own thing, and all of a sudden his world came crashing down, he turned to God's word and discovered the right way to live. He began to obey God's word. This is why C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to wake us up, to bring us back to our senses. That's what the psalmist meant here in verse 67. His afflictions, in other words, have led him back to the Lord. Where he once lived for himself, now he obeys God's Word. In fact, the psalmist now declares in verse 69, after all this, he says, I will, I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Perhaps you can identify with the psalmist. Before your afflictions, you were strained. You were living your own life, kind of doing your own thing. But now, now. And then God sent you troubles and trials. So what are you supposed to do in the midst of your afflictions? Well, notice number two, during my afflictions, and we come to our second word here. The first word is strain. The second word is in the midst of it, during it, learning, learning. (coughs) Excuse me. The psalmist writes in verse 71, look at it with me again. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Now, just kind of FYI, you've already heard the word statutes, precepts. All of these different words are all in relation and all refer to the word of God. The psalmist uses different words here to describe God's word, precepts, statutes. It's in reference to the word of God. And so he says, it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your word, Lord, or your statutes. Now, Did we read this right? Because it sounds like he's saying troubles are good for me. 
maybe we should read this verse again. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. Yes, that's what he writes. It's rather amazing and shocking. Sure enough, that's what he's saying. So is this guy crazy? What in the world is he thinking to write such words as this? It's good for me that I've been afflicted. Who writes such stuff? I mean, let's be honest. We would have a hard time saying, yeah, it's good for me that I've been afflicted. Man, my, it's, it's good. It's good that I'm going through troubles and trials right now. Nobody says that. So how can someone say something so radical about afflictions? Well, the psalmist gives us a clue when he writes about God in verse 68. Look at it. Speaking of God, he says, you are good and you do good. Now, don't miss this. Remember, again, what are his circumstances? It's afflictions, troubles and trials. And he's saying in the midst of that, that God is still what? God is still good and God still does good in the very midst of his afflictions. Can you say that about God in the midst of your troubles and trials? Listen, you can only say something as radical as it's good for me that I have been afflicted when you truly believe within your heart and mind that God is good and God does good no matter what. Now, that confronts us with a problem for a lot of us in our lives. And the problem is this. Too many of us only think God is good and does good when what is going on? When life is good. And good according to our definition of it or our description of it. When life is good, oh yeah, we're in agreement. God's good and God does good. The moment I'm in the middle of afflictions, we begin to doubt this very truth. God's not so good. God doesn't do good all the time. And yet the psalmist is saying this. He is reiterating a truth that we can bank on. I suppose most of us would rather identify with Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when after seeing Jesus standing alongside Moses and Elijah, Peter declares it is good for us to be here on this mountaintop. And then Peter volunteered to build these three tabernacles so they could stay there for a while, kind of soaking in the mountaintop experience. And why not? Sounds good to me. There's nothing wrong with being on the mountaintop of life. We all need those experiences occasionally, and no doubt we'd like to stay on the mountaintop if we could. Our family just came back from vacation in Colorado where we were in the mountains. And we went skiing, and we were at 12,000 feet. We were at the summit skiing 12,000 feet. And let me tell you, when you're at the summit of 12,000 feet and you're looking over the Continental Divide, it is beautiful. And you just want to take it all in. You don't want to come down off the mountain. It's hard to leave the Colorado Rocky Mountains. You want to stay there. Why? Because you're in the mountaintops. But you've got to laugh at Luke's observation on Peter's comment about wanting to stay on the mountaintop in Luke chapter 9, verse 33, where he says to Peter, oh, he did not know what he was saying. Sooner or later, we all have to come back down to the valley. The mountaintops is a good break from the routine of life, but it doesn't last forever. You have to go back to the world 
of oftentimes troubles and trials where bad things happen to good people and where life isn't neat or easy or always fun. So again, have you ever asked yourself, why does God allow or even send afflictions into our lives? Well, notice this. One of the purposes of our afflictions is this. is to teach us things we would not otherwise learn on our own. Look again at verse 71. He says, the writer here, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. And then he tells us why. That I may learn your statutes. That I may learn God's word. Until hard times come, our knowledge of God, our knowledge of his word, tends to be rather theoretical. Here's what I mean by that. It's like the man who reads three books on car repairs and then opens up an auto repair shop. Listen, when my car breaks down, I want a man with some grease under his fingernails. If he's too clean, I worry he may not know the difference between a fuel pump and a water pump. He may have theoretical knowledge, but does he have experiential knowledge? That God is good and God does good. The psalmist declared that passing through the valley of troubles was good for him. Why? Because through it all, he learned that God's word is his unshakable foundation. One pastor said it this way, God is often best seen in the darkness and his presence is most powerfully felt in times of affliction. Charles Spurgeon said, the promises of God shine brightest in the furnace of affliction. Martin Luther confessed, I never knew the meaning of God's word until I came into affliction. I have always found it one of my best schoolmasters. This is a hard reality for many Christians to accept because we don't like our circumstances in which we find ourselves. We would prefer that our marriage be different. We want our career to move in a different direction. We want our finances to improve. We want our health to change for the better. And no doubt most of us would change certain things about our own lives if we could. But since we can't, then we tend to run as fast and as far as we can from our circumstances. But what we fail to realize in the running is that we are running from the very thing God wants to use to teach us about himself, about his word, and even about our own lives. What did David say in Psalm 23? Yea, though I run through the valley shadow of death no that's not what he writes he says yea though i what walk through the valley you see we see afflictions we see troubles and trials in our life as something to escape from but god sees it as something to embrace so let me encourage you to endure to persevere through your troubles and trials instead of looking for ways to escape from them Just because you don't like your situation doesn't mean you don't need to be in that situation. Listen, your personal satisfaction with life is not necessarily a good gauge of where you need to be right now 
in life. If you're facing troubles and trials right now, that's probably where God wants you to be. Why? Because he wants to teach you some things that you can only learn in the valley of afflictions, in the valley of troubles and trials. How do you think most people pray during times of troubles and trials? Most people's prayers boils down to three words. Change my circumstances. While praying like that isn't always wrong, it can lead us in the wrong direction. Consider this. Perhaps God has not changed your circumstances because he first wants to change you. If we want our afflictions to be a blessing, then we ought to pray, Lord, teach me through this. Teach me about yourself. Teach me your word through this difficulty that I might follow you more diligently. Listen again to the heart cry of the psalmist here in this passage of Scripture. In verse 65, he says about the Lord, Lord, you have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. The next verse is 66. He says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. In verse 68, again, he says to God, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. That is the prayer that we should have in the midst of afflictions. Lord, help me to learn through this. I'm not quite sure what it is you want me to learn, but I want to be open to it. Teach me what you want me to learn. Oh, that may be our heart cry when we are afflicted with troubles and trials. Thankfully, times of affliction don't last forever, which brings us to our last point. Number three, after my afflictions, and we come to our third word here, knowing. So we have strain, we have learning, and now we have knowing. Notice what the psalmist says again in verse 75. He says, I what? I know. I know. And what does he know? He says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Now that phrase, I know, is a powerful phrase. It speaks of a, of a settled knowledge. It's, it's to know with confidence. It's to know through experience. It's the kind of knowledge that comes only by looking back over the years and seeing again how God has been faithful, how God has helped you in times of troubles and trials. There's a poem many of you are probably uh, familiar with called Footprints. It's about two sets of footprints in the sand, one set of footprints being yours and the other set of footprints belonging to the Lord who is walking with you side by side. But during the darkest moments of your life, we see only one set of footprints in the sand. Why? Well, the Lord says, my child, when you couldn't walk, I carried you in my arms. And in the same way, as we look back, we can see times that were so difficult that if God had not carried us, we would not have made it through. That's the sort of tested knowledge the psalmist is talking about here in verse 75. 
In fact, it's one of the lessons that comes out of a season of afflictions or troubles and trials is that we know that God is faithful even in our troubles. We know that God is good. We know that He does good. That God is faithful no matter what. And so when times are tough, it's so easy to conclude, Lord, this must be a mistake, and then try to manipulate the situation. Try to fix the circumstances. Try to change the person. But consider how the psalmist puts it. In faithfulness, Lord, you have afflicted me. Man, that's radical. Oh, what a perspective. Somehow he sees beyond his current misery. He sees past the pain of difficult circumstances. He sees through the fog of many unanswered questions in his life. And he sees the faithful hand of God who is working in and through his affliction to accomplish his divine purposes. Listen, folks, what a high view of God's sovereignty. And what a high level of faith in God. To think like this means you've come to the conclusion that God is so sovereign that nothing can happen to you that He has not planned for His glory and your ultimate good. Back in 2001, some of you may remember this, there was a missionary airplane that was blown out of the sky by a Peruvian fighter jet. Humanly speaking, it was a tragedy that should have never happened. Of the many bullets that sprayed the tiny airplane, one single bullet took the life of his wife, Ronnie, and their infant daughter, Charity. Looking back, Jim Bowers called it a sovereign bullet. Listen, only a man who knows God in his word can say a thing like that. But that is precisely the sort of thing the psalmist is saying here in verse 75. As he looks back over his life, including the good times and the bad times, the happy days and the sad nights, he knows, and he knows it with confidence, that all of that has happened to him is not by chance or fate or some sort of cosmic roulette. It has come to him as proof of God's faithfulness to his children. And so instead of shattering his faith, in the end, his affliction has strengthened his faith. Jim Bowers, the the missionary whose wife and daughter were killed, he added these words. He says, nothing bad happened to them. They got to go to heaven quicker than we did. Now, is that faith or is that fantasy talking? Listen, those are the words of a man of faith who out of great personal loss has rested his faith in God's promises. So even in the worst tragedy, it doesn't appear as such when viewed from heaven's perspective. Oh, for faith like that. Now, in light of all that we've seen in these three verses, how should we respond here? 
How should we respond to the afflictions, the troubles and trials of life? Listen, I don't know what 219, 2019 holds for you. Chances are, I shouldn't say chances, by the sovereignty of God, most of us, if not all of us, will encounter at some degree or another afflictions this year. Perhaps some of you are already in the middle of those afflictions, troubles and trials in your life. So how then should we respond in light of what we've seen the psalmist here? Well, let me offer you three ways. Number one, look for God's fingerprints in your life. Look for God's fingerprints in your life. If what we have seen in God's word is true, then we ought to see evidence of God's work in our troubles and trials. So think of how your troubles and trials have drawn you closer to God. Look for evidence of answered prayer. See if you can't find the work of God on your behalf. Listen, God always leaves his fingerprints on everything he touches. So ask God to open your eyes to see how he is working on your behalf. Number two, a second way to respond is to immerse yourself in God's word. Now, this may be one of the hardest things to do because the natural tendency for us when we go through troubles and trials is we tend to isolate away from God's people and away from God's Word. When just the opposite should be taking place. So immerse yourself in God's Word. Here's what happens. If we're not immersing ourselves in God's Word, we are being transformed Not by the renewing of our minds of God's Word, but we're being squeezed by the philosophy and thinking and culture of our world. And I'm telling you, that is so opposite of how the psalmist is thinking right here. We have to think differently than what even family, friends, and our culture thinks when it comes to life. We need to think according to the Word of God. We need to think and believe and respond according to God. We need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God, in His truth. So jump into your Bible. Read it more, not less. Let your troubles and trials drive you deeper into God's Word. Now, obviously, here at the beginning of a new year, this is a wonderful opportunity to do that to find a reading plan, to dive in and be regular and consistent in reading God's Word. Nowadays, with smartphones and apps, man, it's so readily available for us to do so. You can download uh, the YouVersion Bible app. You can utilize the Read Scripture Bible app. And they have different plans on there. You can customize it. There's stuff even on the back. If you need help finding a reading plan or even accountability, whatever, man, email Pastor Chris or myself. Even other Christ followers here in our congregation. But we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. We need to renew our minds with His truth. If you can't read a whole book, then read a chapter. If not a chapter, then read a few verses or just one verse. Pick up God's Word and read it. Pray over it. And cling to it. Make God's Word the foundation of your life 
in the authority of your decisions in life, not your feelings as you're going through afflictions. And most of all, determine to obey God's word no matter what is happening to you. If you do that, you will emerge from your trials and troubles with a faith much stronger than before they started. And then number three way to respond is to determine to trust God. Determine to trust God no matter what. This means don't give up on God. Don't give in to your troubles and trials and run. Tell the Lord that you will continue to trust Him no matter what happens. Let your friends and family know that your faith in God is not wavering. Job said it this way in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him, the Lord. And when you don't know what to pray, and isn't that true? Have you found yourself in that situation? In the middle of afflictions, troubles, trials? You're like, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I don't even know what to pray anymore. Man, if you're going through that time, you don't even know what to pray, then let me encourage you. Pray what the psalmist prayed here in these verses. You drop down to verses 76 and 77. Listen to his prayer. He cries out to the Lord and he says, Let, I pray, God, your merciful kindness be for my comfort. According to your word to your servant, let your tender mercies come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Now as we close, let me ask you a question. What troubles and trials are you perhaps facing even now? Do you find yourself in a difficult place right now? Are there circumstances in your life that you desperately want to change? Are you struggling to keep your faith intact when life seems to be crashing in around you? Listen, whatever troubles and trials you're facing now, whatever afflictions may come in your life this year, remember, it's not what happens to you that matters most. It's how you respond that makes all the difference. Listen, your troubles and trials are no mistakes. In a profound sense and in a way that we won't fully understand this side of heaven, your troubles and trials are a blessing from God. You say, how can you say that? A blessing? Yes, they're the blessing that nobody wants. But they are a blessing in a sense because these afflictions, these troubles and trials that we encounter in life, listen, they humble us. They kill our pride. They force us to admit our weaknesses. And if we allow them to, they will drive us to the Lord in His strength. When facing troubles and trials in 2019, I think sometimes we just need to put up a sign that reads, Quiet, God at work. In fact, you might pull out a piece of paper and even just write that, put it on your mirror, put it on the dash of your car, put it at your desk, put it in the kitchen, put it on the refrigerator. Quiet, God at work in the midst of my troubles and trials. God is at work to remind us that our afflictions really are a blessing from God. In the meantime, hold on. Keep believing. Don't give up and let God do his work in you. Listen, the greatest tragedy would be this. To go through troubles and trials in this life and then miss out on what God wants to teach us through it. So may God bring us to the place. And this is my heart's prayer for us as a church. 
May God bring us to the place where we can say with the psalmist here, it was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your statutes, your word. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow our heads and we open up our hearts to you, I do ask that you would speak to us. You would make the truth of your word here come alive. And Lord, we would seriously take heed to the words of the psalmist here. Lord, we would evaluate where we're at, our own attitudes. And Lord, perhaps some of us are even in the midst of these afflictions now. Perhaps they will come in the coming year here. But Lord, we would not run from them. We would have the heart cry of the psalmist here. And so, Lord, may we respond in a right way. We would learn from them. We would be strengthened in our faith through it. And so, Lord, give us your perspective. Give us your grace. I ask these things in your son's name. Amen. That's this.